0: had such an incredible chat with Sage and Serena Dyer. And since we mentioned Anita Morjani, I thought that it wasn't enough. Well, Kelsey thought it wasn't enough to just link to the episode or re-airing the episode so that this week's block of shows can really be about uh, life after death um, and how to connect with your loved one and kind of just what goes on. Um, in that, um, in those final days. And so Anita Morjani has the most unbelievable story you will ever hear. She was literally on death's door and then came back and had a complete miraculous healing of her cancer that was ravaging her entire body. Priest was there last rites. It was, you know, it was over. And she details the entire um journey in her book called Dying to Be Me. So take a listen to this. I think you're going to love it. It's one of my favorites and, uh, we'll see you soon. It's going to be a big show guys. Glad to have you back here today on this beautiful day. Hopefully it's beautiful wherever you are. <laughs> if it isn't, let's make it beautiful. Our uh, quote of the day. Let us always meet each other with a smile, So the smile is the beginning of love. That was Miss Mother Teresa. Not bad, Mother Teresa. Not bad. With Alana singing underneath, which I love. Uh, We have a great show for you guys, like I said. I'm so excited. We're going to get right to it today because we have the one and only New York Times bestselling author of Dying to Be Me, uh, and many, many other books. Uh, dying to be, of course, sold over a million copies worldwide. And that is Miss Anita Marjani. <laughs> Woo! In the co-host seat today, we have my very dear friend, who also is uh, an author and a reality star. She wrote the book, Grin and Barrett, How to Be Happy No Matter What Reality Throws Your Way. Miss Jenny Pullen. <laughs> My other friend, who we <laughs> threw in last minute because she's a big fan of Anita's, and I'm so excited that she's here with us today. She is dog trainer to the stars, the Love Dogs, Mr. Mark Geller. Yay! <laughs> all of a sudden, we all think we're in a wrestling match. <laughs> we're gonna wrestle all the bad in the world and right. find some good. Amen, sister. Yeah. So. Glad to have you guys. Or have you all? Have you ladies all here today? Yes. yes. Um, Anita, I had such a great conversation with you last time, and I loved it so much, and the audience loved it so much. So I'm excited for round two.
1: Yeah, I've been looking forward to coming back because it was such a great conversation.
0: Thank you. Yeah. So we have uh, a lot to get to today. I know that you're working a lot with Life Force energy. And I want to talk about that. But before we do, for anybody who hasn't um, read Dying to Be Me, oh. or "Tomorrow's <laughs> like, how dare you? <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. Changed uh, my life. Let's give everybody just kind of a, a quick, you know, um, Anita Morjani background so that they understand where we're coming from here and why we're so obsessed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I... Uh, I was supposed to die on February the second, two thousand and six. If the doctors were right, that would have been my last day of life because I had cancer. It was end stage lymphoma at that point. I'd been dealing with the with the lymphoma for four years, and on that day, I went into a coma. My organs had started to shut down. Um, my I weighed about eighty five pounds. Um My muscles had completely atrophied um, and i couldn't walk i couldn't even hold my head up, my lungs were filled with fluid, and the doctors told my family that I was now dying and going through the dying process, and because I was in a coma, they said i wasn't going to come out of the coma. But what the people around me didn't realize was that even though i was even though my physical body was in the coma. I was aware of everything that was happening. It was like I had left my body and I could see everything that was happening around my body. I could see my family. I could hear everything they were saying. But even more than that, I could feel their emotions. And it felt like um, my consciousness, and that's what I call it, uh, there's no words for it. So the best word I could think of Is that it was my consciousness? It felt like my consciousness had left my body and it was expanding. And it was expanding so that I was no longer even in the hospital room. I could see what was beyond the room. I could hear conversations that the doctor was having down the hallway with the nurses and with my husband, and telling my husband that these were my final hours and that I wasn't going to come back. But As I continued to expand, I realized that I was feeling incredible. I was feeling really amazing in that um, the pain and the fear from the last four years was completely gone. Because I had feared cancer, but I had also feared the treatments for cancer. And I feared death. And now, all that fear was just gone. And the pain and all the discomfort was gone. And I felt amazing. I felt so light and free and just amazing. And even um, my vision, if you will, wasn't like looking through physical eyes because my physical eyes were closed. It was like I had 360 degree peripheral vision because it was like I was outside my body and I could see my physical body lying on that hospital bed dying. And I was feeling so powerful and amazing that my body looked small and insignificant compared to what I was feeling. And I actually continued to expand and I was aware that I was dying. And then I felt the essence of my dad. My my dad had died 10 years prior and I felt him there. I saw him there. He had come to help me. But... Um, So I'm gonna cut this story really short so that we can get into all the other good stuff. But my dad basically told me it wasn't my time and that I needed to go back. And at first I didn't wanna come back because my body was dying and I had been suffering. But he told me that now that I know the truth of who I am in that I'm not just a physical body, that I'm powerful and magnificent. He wanted me to know now that I know this truth that if I chose to go back, my body would heal. And that's when I started to get this clarity of where I understood why I got cancer. I understood how it was that all the thoughts and decisions and choices I had made in my life had led me to that point of lying there on that hospital bed. And so I made the decision to come back And in the moment I made the decision to come back to my body, my dad said, now that you know this truth, go back and live your life fearlessly.
0: It's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there, this little bomber jacket, this little black
1: dress, you're gonna love it. And that's when I started to come out of the coma. And um, and then the tumors just shrunk like in about four days. The tumors shrunk by 70%. In five weeks, they could find no trace of cancer. And the doctors could not believe it. They didn't even know what to write in my medical records. Hmm.
0: <laughs> well, also the other thing that was amazing is you recounted to the doctors the conversations yes. that they had yes. in rooms down the yes. hall from your body. Yes. yes. Directly. Um, exactly what they administered to you. You knew everything when you were in a coma. Yes. So they had to
1: believe you because you were able to say all of these things. They, they were really freaking out because they were saying, (laughs) how did, you know, because I recognized the nurse, like there was a nurse who was trying to put a needle into my veins and my veins had retracted. And I recognized, uh, you know, the nurse and it was a male nurse. And he said, but you were in a coma. How could you have known it was me? And I said, I saw you. I don't know how, but I saw you. And the same with the the doctor that was on duty that was treating me. There was a doctor that removed fluid from my lungs because I started to choke while I was in the coma. And he was surprised that I identified him. I said, yeah, you, you removed fluid from my lungs at four in the morning. And so they were all like, they didn't know what to make of it. So
0: the other part to this, as we have to educate the audience before we get in, is that when you were on the other side... There were so many breakthroughs, right? Yes. And the cool thing with your dad is you were kind of living your life according to what your dad wanted, and not living your life for you. Yes. And so for him to give you that blessing to go back and live your life the way you wanted,
1: yes, um,
0: was amazing. But explain to people what you learned from the other side. I mean, I know there was obviously um, time passage was a big thing, and and the past and the future were all one and Explain a little bit of all of that. Hey, Hill Squad and Better Together fam. Second, you could join the Better Together with Maria Menounos' Instagram page. Third, you could share the show with a friend in need. And finally, for as little as $10 a month, please join our Patreon to get monthly live heal events with world-class healers, ad-free episodes of our show, and even weekly bonus episodes exclusive to Patreon. Getting better isn't easy, but it is a whole lot better when we can do it together. We love and appreciate and are so grateful for all of you.
1: So, on the other side, um, time is not linear. But the main thing is the level of clarity where I understood why I had come into this life and I realized that I hadn't come to be small. Now, I just to give a little bit of background... Um, I spent a lifetime being a people pleaser and a doormat. And I think a lot of it is to do with my culture. And for those who don't know me, my parents are Indian. I'm Indian ethnically, and my parents are Hindus. But I didn't grow up in India. I grew up in, um, in a society where I went to a Western school with British kids. and But my parents wanted me to be a good Hindu girl. And as I was growing up, they were trying to groom me for an arranged marriage. But I didn't want to have an arranged marriage. So, But I always felt that there was something wrong with me. And I was always torn between trying to be what my parents expected me to be and what my society, my culture expected me to be versus what I wanted inside. Now, in the culture where I come from, um, there's tremendous gender disparity. And I rebelled against that. And also... We are expected to have an arranged marriage. And a, and women are not encouraged to have higher education because it makes them less desirable for marriage if they get too smart and if they have a career. So I rebelled against all of this because I, somewhere deep down, I actually felt I was destined for something bigger and greater. But slowly that started to erode because it felt like an uphill battle. And it started to erode, and I started to make myself small. Um, Mm -hmm. I agreed to an arranged marriage, and then I ran away from it, and then I was ostracized from my community. And so I went through all of this stuff before getting cancer. And it was like, and so what I realized when I was in the other realm, it was like all of this was revealed to me. I saw my life as a giant tapestry where it was like, oh, my gosh, it makes sense. All along the way, I have been suppressing myself. I've been suppressing my soul, my spirit, trying to be what everyone else wants me to be, believing that there's something wrong with me. But my inner light wanted to shine. It was trying to shine. And so because I was suppressing myself, my body, my inner, my inner energy manifested itself through my body as cancer.
2: hmm
1: and the cancer didn't come to kill me. It actually came to save my life. I was killing myself even before I had cancer.
0: Ugh. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anybody's eyes that are not welling Beautiful. up right now. Oh my God. It's, so beautifully said. It's the second time I've cried hearing that. <laughs> <Incredible>. <laughs> um, so, And
2: I think that's so important, you know, having a family that everybody's been affected by cancer pretty much. That last thing you said is that cancer actually saved your life. Yes. And yeah. we've talked, Anita and I at length about some people's journey unexpectedly does end, but that doesn't mean they haven't healed. Yes. They just their journey here is done. That's and right. I think that's something beautiful to add because some people may say, Well, this didn't happen to my family member or this yeah. didn't happen to them and why? But you
0: how know, do you distinguish between that. those? Yeah, that's a great question, Jenny.
1: So what I want to tell people uh, who have lost family members to cancer is that we all have to leave sometime. And if if they have crossed over, they haven't lost the battle. Maybe it was their time to go. But also, I do believe for some people, if life really is a struggle and if they're given the choice whether to stay or go, sometimes cancer offers them a way out. It offers them a way out of their struggle in this life. And um, I never look at it as they've lost the battle if they've crossed over because it was so beautiful on the other (laughs) side. Maybe they're the ones that won Mm -hmm. and I'm the one that lost the battle (laughs) by coming back. But here's what I
0: think with you. I would think that because you had that deep knowledge that you were destined for something bigger, but you had to suppress it for everybody else. When you had permission to to not suppress yourself, you're like, okay, I'll go back and give it another shot because there was a reason for you to come back. And so sometimes people don't have that reason.
2: Totally. And I also believe, you know, in Anita's relationship with her father, the beautiful way to look at that is for the first time when she saw him he actually saw her, and they saw each other. And for a culture that he couldn't even live,
1: maybe the life he wanted to live, he said, "Go back wow. and live
2: the life for both of us." Yeah,
1: yeah, and that's a very good point because when I was growing up, my my relationship with my dad was really turbulent because I just wasn't that good Hindu daughter that he wanted. I mean, to put it into perspective, I was a huge fan of Cyndi Lauper. <laughs> I used to dress like her (laughs) and my my freedom song was girls just want to have fun. And so imagine a Hindu dad trying to get someone like Cyndi Lauper into an arranged marriage. Yeah.
0: Not happening. (laughs) Not happening. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs)
1: And then for the first time when I was in this other realm um, and I saw my dad and all I felt from him was pure, unconditional love. There was no judgment. I expected to be judged in the other side, but I wasn't There was no judgment, there was only love and I realized that when we cross over, we leave behind not only our physical bodies but we leave behind our culture, our beliefs, and all you know our gender, all of that. We leave all of that behind, and the only thing that crosses over is our pure essence, which is pure love. And so my dad saw my pure essence, and I saw his pure essence. And I understood for the first time that he actually loved me unconditionally my whole life, but I didn't know it because he had his filters, I had my filters, and we were both victims of our culture.
0: Yeah, that happens a lot. Yes. It happens a lot. Okay. I'm going to take this opportunity to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about so much more. You have so much wisdom to share with us to help us on our journeys. So we're going to take a quick break when we come back. More with Anita Morjani. We are back with Anita Morjani and, of course, my lovely co hosts, Jenny Poulis and Tamar Geller. So, Anita, you're talking. I know you're doing some work with life force energy.
1: Can you explain that and kind of how we can use it? Sure. So my explanation is a little bit long, so bear with me because I want people to really get it. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, too. (laughs) So first of all, I want you to imagine, um, imagine that you uh, were, that you were blind. And you were born blind. You've been blind your entire life. And so if you've been blind your entire life, just think of how you would perceive the world. You would have no idea what the word color really means. You can't differentiate between red, blue, green. You don't know what a rainbow is. When people give you things like um, two shawls or scarves, and they say that they're two different colours—one's red, one's blue—you won't know what they're talking about. The other things, the other kinds of things that you won't quite understand is you won't understand that buildings have height, that they have stories, that this building is 20 stories. I mean. It's not easy for you to understand what's going on when you step into an elevator and you go from the first floor or the ground floor to the 15th floor. What's actually going on? You're getting in an elevator and you're getting out and you're somewhere different. So there's so many things that you would find it really hard to actually understand. Uh, Measuring distance just by looking at spatial distance, you won't be able to do that. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Snack. Imagine one day you get sight and just for one day you have sight, even if it's for 24 hours, 30 hours, you have sight. And suddenly it's like, whoa, the world makes sense. I understand what happens when I get in an elevator. I understand I don't have to take the stairs to measure what floor I'm in. There are shortcuts. I know what a rainbow is. I know what the sunshine is, what it means to have a blue sky. Like there is just so much clarity. So just imagine you've had that experience. Now imagine you go back to being blind again. And if you go back to being blind again, but you live in an institution or a home where everybody around you is blind and have been blind their whole life. So just imagine what that feels like. You've had a transformative experience that changes your view of the world, but you're living in an environment Mm. where everybody sees things differently. And you're trying to tell them that, um, you're trying to tell them, no, this is not the way to do it. No, there's an elevator that can give you a shortcut. And they're like, no, 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 no. I have to take the stairs to measure it. Because that's where they feel safe. Yes. That's where they feel safe. But you now have a different Mm. level of understanding. But you know how you can help these people take shortcuts. You know how their lives can be made easier. And you know how they can stop or prevent themselves from bumping into things. But they feel safer doing it their way. So now, imagine if you've had such an experience. um, But let's kick it up a notch. So going from blind to being sighted, we took you from four-sensory being to five-sensory being, but we already are five-sensory beings. We already have five senses. So what if we went from five-sensory beings to six-sensory beings? And imagine if a sixth sense kicked in where you could see life force energy. Wow. So imagine now if you, just you, not everybody around you, but you could actually see life force energy coursing through your body. And in cultures, you know, in Indian culture, we call this prana, life yeah. force energy. You mm-hmm. call it chi, ki. So, but imagine, so now if you were to give it a visual, think of it maybe as streams, like um, threads of vibrant violet or indigo or gold light. You can think of it however you want. But just coursing through your whole body. But it's so bright, this life force energy, that it creates a huge aura. The brighter it is, the bigger the aura. But here's the thing. So you can see this energy. But you notice that when you're not feeling good, that energy is dimmed. But when you're feeling really good, it's bright and and, there's this, and you're emanating this big aura. And when it's really bright and you're emanating this big aura, you enter a room where other people have dimmer auras, but immediately they feel light because you are bringing that light, like bringing a light bulb into a darkened room. Mm-hmm. So they're feeding off your light. So your energy is lifting up other people, even though you're not doing anything, you haven't said anything. But now... Imagine as you watch yourself as you go through the day and you start to observe what dims your energy and what brightens it. Uh, yes. See, And that's what I ask people to do. I say, imagine that you can see this energy. Now imagine if you have a little kid that gets bullied at school, that little kid is going to come home with their energy all mm-hmm. dimmed. But imagine now a puppy runs into the room and runs up to the kid and hugs the kid and the kid plays with the puppy. The kid and the puppy, their energy is really bright. Mm -hmm. But if you could see your energy, if you could see your life force energy and the life force energy of the people around you, you would conduct your life very differently from the way you are currently conducting it. Mm -hmm. And I can give so many examples, but these are the kinds of workshops that I'm conducting now is to help people to see how they're conducting their lives. Because if you conduct your life in a way where your life force energy is expanded, you are helping your whole family, your children, your spouses. If you are a doctor, for example, or a teacher... And you are drained and overworked all the time. Your life force energy is shrunk right okay. down. Oh, yes. Yep. You know what's going to happen? And, and I'm not blaming the doctors because they're overworked. It's not their fault. Yeah. Nurses, they're beautiful angels who are out there to help people. They're drained. They're overworked. When your life force energy is really dim, what happens is you borrow other people's life force energy. Oh, uh, whoa, I didn't know yes. we were going there. <laughs> <laughs> <Soakers>. <laughs> My turn. <laughs> whoa. Yeah. yeah, so because when someone... I thought you were going to say
0: you get sick uh-huh. or whatever, but... You do. Okay, you bar, I like to go back to where you were going. Okay, so
1: we are all connected. It's like entrainment. You know, they've done experiments where if you put um, six women in to share an apartment, young women who are menstruating, and in they a few months, they synchronize. yes. yes. Yeah. If you put a bunch of metronomes, you know, those um, piano tuners in a room uh, and after about 30 minutes, they all synchronize. So we do the same thing. You put somebody with really high life force energy in a room with someone uh, really with really low life force energy, they balance. One will go up and one will go down and they'll meet in the middle. So our obligation Mm -hmm is to raise our own life force energy. And if you could see your energy, you would do this all the time.
3: Yeah. And also to choose the people we spend time with.
1: Yes. People who don't
0: train. I met an entrepreneur once uh, recently for lunch and he told me he looks at everybody like, are they they input or are they output? (laughs) Like kind of like, are they taking away from me or are they adding to me? Like, are they gonna take my energy or are they gonna give me energy? and <clears throat> i thought that was really
1: that is really interesting yeah, is.
0: amazing because that's basically what you're saying yes. in a sense is we have to like to me it's like taking inventory mm-hmm. of okay here are all the things that i do in my life yes does this give does that take does this give does that take here are all the people in my life give 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 take 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 right yes and then Do you get rid of everybody that takes? How do you do it? You
1: don't. So this is is the second part to this, is that you (laughs) have to know how to charge your batteries. Because if you are a doctor, a nurse, a parent, a teacher, you have to give your energy. Yes, you do. But you have to know how to charge your batteries. And so a lot of people believe that it's selfish to receive. But you know, when you receive, you're not taking. Taking suggests... You're taking from someone, so you're depriving them. That's not the case. Receiving means charging your own battery, just like a smartphone has to charge its batteries. Mm -hmm. So you have to be (coughs) conscious that you have to charge your battery so that you can keep giving, so that you can shine your light. So if you think of it as being filled with life force energy, if you think of that as in terms of a a light bulb uh, on a rechargeable battery, when you bring that bright light bulb into a room, without saying a word, you are lighting up the whole room. But if you don't know how to charge your battery, then you're starting to get drained because you're lighting up a room that doesn't know how to charge themselves. So your job as a teacher, as a speaker, as a doctor, as a nurse, is to make sure you take time out to charge your battery so that when you are treating people, when you're treating patients, you're giving them energy, not taking their energy. Wow. wow. So how do we do that? So the way I, so I always tell people it's really important to love yourself. So the people who struggle with this the most, and so these are the people who are the most drained, are people who are uh, people pleasers, doormats. While I'm yawning. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> you need to charge. We you I, charge I you I up. I'm really yeah, uncharged to- <laughs> right now, to be yeah, honest. We need to charge we you got- up. Yeah. That's really important. So um, I tell people that they need to love themselves like their lives depend on it because it does. Because if you are running on no battery, on discharge for a prolonged period of time, so if you, as I said, if you were able to physically see your life force energy and you saw that you had no life force energy it was really, or it was really dull and you have no aura for a prolonged period of time, you would start to see it manifest as physical illness. And illness starts at the energetic level before it starts to manifest in your physical body.
2: One question on the financial tip of that. I've always said, you know, in my book, it's about writing the check. You want to invest in something and you're scared, but then you write the check. And oftentimes I've always seen when I've written that check to someone and gone, it comes right back do you, do you look at that as a, a branch of that? In other words, don't be scared to invest. Don't be in insca- help and you help. Mean like help well, yeah. Or say I'm going <clears throat> to pay this person
0: and I know they're worth it. And the minute I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria. My mom would say in her Greek accent, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. to do anything else it is incredible i love it frizz free up your schedule with way go to the way t-h-e-o-u-a-i.com and enter the promo code Heel squad for 15 percent off any product that's the way t-h-e-o-u-a-i.com promo code Heel squad trust me you won't regret it that you do when you kind of go outside your comfort zone it comes back to
2: you Yes. Yes. you know, because so, I think some people, too, with the financial side of it, I'm so scared to start this business or I'm so scared to go out and do this. The same thing with dimming the energy. But the minute they write it and trust and have the faith, it comes
1: back because
2: it's a universal energy of that. There is enough for like everyone that. out
1: there. Yes, I like that because there absolutely is enough for everyone out there. So what you're saying is so important because. You don't have to be afraid to give. So what I'm saying goes one step beyond what the people who say, I don't want to go around people who drain my energy. No, it's one step beyond that. I know how to receive, so I am not afraid who I am around because I know nobody can take away my energy. I can afford to be really generous with my energy because I know how to receive from the universe. And that's the key. That's really the key because right now everybody is at the space like, oh, we better be careful of toxic energy yeah. and we better be, and mm-hmm. this is the thing. And this is why I introduced this whole thing of imagine if you could see your energy, you would see That there's what, plenty. <laughs> there, there is plenty and you would see what charges your energy. You would not focus on what discharges it. Uh, you uh, that's would, the key yeah, right there. You would focus on what charges Focusing. it. Focus, focus on what equals ch- feeling. Mm-hmm. Yes, focus on what charges your energy. So, what charges your energy? What charges your energy is being around people you love. I mean, of course, there are times when you have to take care of aging people, children, whatever that'll drain your energy. But you need to take time out also to charge your energy. You need to consciously do that. Now, people very often say to me, and this is typical from. Um, people pleasers, empaths, doormats. And I don't say this with judgment because that was me. I understand them because that's who I was. That's why I got cancer. Um, I was someone who believed it was selfish to do anything good for myself. Mm. I believed it was selfish to charge my batteries. I believed it was selfish to love myself. But when you can see energy, if you could see energy, you would see that if you think it's selfish to love yourself, So you don't love yourself and you're just doing and doing for other people. You become so drained that you need to rely on other people's energy. That is even more selfish.
3: Almost Mm. selfish is like with you, where you didn't shine as bright as you were intended to shine. It held you back from really sharing your gift with the world before the cancer
1: where you got recharged. Thank you. And yes, in fact, I feel that I am so much more able to help people and not worry. I don't worry about people, people's like energies. You. Yeah. That, and yeah. I don't worry about people uh, liking me. I don't worry about being around, you know, what we label as toxic people. I don't even like to think of people as being toxic or not toxic. I don't even like to think of it that way. I think people are just people and people are struggling and they're in different places.
0: Well, they're the ones that need you most. Exactly.
1: The people who are hardest to love are the ones that need it the most. Yeah. And you can love them when your um, your own battery is full, when your own cup is full. But that's the thing, right? Like we have our cell phones... Yes, does
0: anyone think oh I'm being selfish by charging their phone?
1: <laughs> no. Exactly, no. But
0: why do we think like that about ourselves? We Society, have so I think. little regard for ourselves. Yes. And and that's the and problem. And you can't be
2: your best <clears throat> self unless
0: Yes you give to well, yeah. yourself how is the nurse going to take care of people if she's so depleted that now when she's there she's grouchy mm-hmm. when someone is in like desperate need of nurturing right or yeah. then administers something incorrectly or does something wrong that's
1: even more detrimental
0: like you can't. You can't be your best self. That's right. No,
1: and if you take this up a notch, and if you realize that people who have um, chronic physical illnesses are in that condition because they're depleted inside. So if you were aware of that, you would handle hospitals very differently. Yeah. The hospitals would be focused on charging people's energy <laughs> and teaching them how to recharge their battery.
3: So what about people who seems on the surface that they are all together, but they are always sick? Like on the surface, they're happy. Everything is great. But when you they are always sick, that's what, a classic that?
1: people pleaser.
3: It's a classic
1: people pleaser where they have to show people that I'm okay, I don't need your help, I don't mm-hmm. need you, but underneath they're struggling. They're struggling and uh, it's because they find it really hard to receive. Now, those of or us to the, ask. or to yes, ask for definitely. help. Definitely. Yeah. How do people like that get out of that zone? So, so the first thing is to realize it. Great question. So the first thing is to, is to realize that we do this. So, so ask yourself. You mean yourself, honesty. honesty. Honesty with yourself. With yourself. You don't even have to share it with anyone else. Yes. The first thing is to realize that I have this tendency. So so many of us are really good at giving and giving and giving of ourselves. Terrible at receiving. Yeah. And so that's what we have to ask ourselves how are my receiving channels? Am I able to receive? Because if I'm not able to receive, just like the iPhone, if it stops charging, um, it's, you know, it, it's broken. If you can't receive charge, if you can't receive energy, then there's something wrong. You need to, to do something and learn to receive. You have to put yourself in rice. Right, you know when your water, when your phone
2: drops in the water,
1: yeah. <laughs> start exactly. over. Yeah, put yourself in Let's
0: rice. Put ourselves like in that.
2: rice out there, listeners. That would be so and funny. Yeah, I, I
0: really feel like we need to create a chart. I just wrote like a note because I'm gonna I'm gonna create a life chart of some sort because I think we. We pu- we create to see it well. Look, too, we create right? charts for like everything, like whether it's your finances or whatever. But do we create like a life chart ever? Like to me, as you're right, you're saying all of this. I'm like, hmm, what's the solution? How are we going to actually focus on this? How are we going to actually make t- like a real change? And to me, it would be like a workbook for your life. Yes. yes. And so, so you know, and it's with you, and it's with everybody that I have on the show. There's all these different things that we need to focus on. And the only way we're gonna focus on it if it's in one place where you can kind of write in your thing. Totally. I'm gonna create a I'm gonna create a life that. book for us. And I we'll like make that. it a test because like I think what you're saying right now is so cool because we need to identify what drains us, what recharges us. Exactly. Who drains us, who recharges us. Yes. And then and then what is your purpose and what are you supposed to do? What does your heart really say? Once you see it all written down then you'll attack life so much differently. But yes. when you don't, it's like for someone's, you know, someone's going to say, well, my job is draining and I hate what I'm doing and I hate my boss, but I got to do it because I have to pay the bills because my kids have to go to school and all of this. And then, so what happens? This person just lives in this suffering state until they get sick and then they have an excuse to leave, yes, right. Yes. right? And by yes. then sometimes they're too tired to fight the fight that needs to be fought. Yep. And then they have an untimely. And by the way, then on top of that, they don't have um, the resources or the people around them to bring in more light to help them the find support, yes. the support so that they can beat it. And that's why I watch a lot of people get sick and pass
1: because it's just it's just so hard. Exactly. That I mean, what you're saying is so spot on. That people live a life that they hate. They get drained and then they get sick and then they and then they actually fight to get well, but to get well, to go back to live the life that they hate. Yes, and so, I, so when they're given a choice or when the the sickness is pretty bad, sometimes it's easier to opt out yeah. and just check out. And the- I think
2: a big part of the life chart also is, and you said this so brilliantly, is when you are in that situation, let's say that it presents itself as toxic. How do you not really take that in? How is your life force energy being able to create a bubble that just deflects it and can still handle that situation, but not become in it and
1: immersed in it and drowned by it? Okay, so that is that is the biggest challenge that um, I have had to deal with over the years. What I find is really helpful is... What I said about focusing. So making. So, for example, I would make a list of all the things that charge my batteries. So, um, and then I would make a list of the things that drain me, which are uh, which I can actually eliminate from my life. You know, which I have been doing because I think that oh, I need to be a better person. Like and like what? So, like what you have to do, what your society tells you you're supposed to so do. So, or... I would put so the things that drain me, I can literally split them into two categories. One are things that I've kind of I'm doing them just because people are saying, Oh, you should do this because it's expected of you. So, it's like again, people pleasing. It's because I'm afraid of what people will think of me if I don't do it. So, that's one category. And I work.
0: Minus the sweet chili.
1: Work on trying to stop doing those things. Stop worrying about what people think of you. The second category of things that kind of uh, take up your energy, drain your energy, they don't drain it as much because there is a certain pleasure. It's taking care of people I love, but yet it still needs. um, So it's like taking care of aging parents. So Danny, my husband, Danny and I, we both have aging parents and sometimes it takes a lot out of me, but for me, it's not a negotiation. I want to be there for them. So I need to stay healthy if I'm going to be in their presence because I don't want to be depleted when I go and spend time with them. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be Mm -hmm. short with them or, you know, so, so, so then, so the, the things that take from you or drain you, I literally split them into two lists. One is I got dragged into it because, you know, it's some drama that somebody's, a friend is having. And I later realized, oh God, I probably shouldn't have got into that. And the other one is, the other list of things that drain me is no negotiation. I have to be there for these people. I love that. But the, the important list is the list there has to be, Enough things in the list of things that stimulate you so that you can constantly keep your batteries charged. That is the important list. So, if I have to be there for my mom, I will make sure that I charge my batteries so I can be my best self. Like, runner. what do you do? So, there's a ton of things like um, I love writing, I love listening to music, I have to take time out for that. I love being at the beach, love being in nature, being by the ocean. Um, I like going out with friends, having a good laugh. I love laughing. Laughter is actually really great for charging your batteries. Um, you know, soaking in a tub, going to a movie, going to the mall. I have to admit I'm a bit of a shopaholic. (laughs) I love it.
0: So that's how you recharge your battery prior to a visit.
1: Prior or even, yeah, I schedule these things in. All, all week, like all the yeah. time to make sure that I'm always able to be um, everything that I came here to be. Yeah. And I, I think that. that's we're, important as a
2: parent too, because so many people say, well,
1: I feel guilty.
2: I, I feel guilty if I go out with my husband because this, I worked and the kids and, the, and you can't really be, I don't think the best parent, if you don't do the charging list yeah. as well. Exactly. Note,
0: we're going to take a quick break. Hold that thought, everybody. We're going to be right back with more Anita Morjani. We are back with Anita Morjani. And if you want to experience a workshop with her... And, uh, and Michael Neal, you can go to the Experiencing God with Anita Morjani and Michael Neal. It's a two-day exploration of Experiencing God. It is a workshop and it's being held in Marina del Rey, California, September 15th and 16th. So you don't want to miss that. Of course, if you want more information, you can go to your website, right?
1: Yes, anitamorjani.com.
0: Perfect. Mm-hmm. So we are back and we're going to pick up where we left off. I think we were talking something about guilt.
2: Anita, I know you have
0: something to add to that conversation.
2: I was saying parenting and not to feel guilty when you have to recharge the battery.
1: Yeah, it's really important that you have to, and it it goes for doctors, nurses, teachers, don't feel guilty taking time out to recharge your battery and take care of yourself. So uh, So even before I was diagnosed with cancer, my best friend got cancer, and she is somebody I grew up with. She was like a sister to me. And when she was diagnosed... I felt awful. I felt so guilty that I was well and she had cancer. And she had this really aggressive form of cancer. Um, And she had all this, um, a tremendous amount of chemotherapy and radiation, which was actually, you know, I, I watched her health deteriorate. And as I was watching her, I felt really awful. And I felt so guilty if I did anything for myself. If I went shopping and bought myself something, I felt how can how how dare do i do this when she's lying in the hospital bed dying yeah. how can i even take pleasure from buying clothes and or if i went out with our friends who were our mutual friends i felt guilty that she wasn't able to be with us so all i did was like spend time with her and with her children and then one day i found this lump on my neck which was the start of the lymphoma and i remember when i went to get it tested and it, and the result came back as lymphoma, amidst that fear that now I have cancer, there was also a feeling of, ah, now I get to take care of myself. Wow! And that's what I want people to know is that you don't need an excuse to take care of yourself. You really don't.
0: I learned that too. I tell people all the time, I'm watching people wait for that moment. Yeah. To happen. But, but what's so profound is, is to me is to see the lengths you would go to, to be a people pleaser. Like you were probably like one Uh, of the worst cases. Like you're on, on like if there's a spectrum, you're on the worst (laughs) spectrum. (laughs) I was
1: was absolutely the worst. Right. uh, Yeah. uh, (laughs) Totally. I was an absolute (laughs) doormat. And and so even after I had this near-death experience and came out and I, had, I was fully transformed and I knew I couldn't go back to being that person I used to be, but I didn't have the tools mm. because I had been this doormat my whole life, yeah. you know, being the daughter of Hindu parents who wanted me to have an arranged marriage and in a culture with gender disparity, I didn't know. And so the last years since the experience has been me trying to develop the tools to be someone who is not that person who got the cancer.
0: Yeah. When I speak, that was that's the number one thing that I hear is people will come up to me and they'll say, How are you staying in this zone? because when I got better I went back to my old ways and I'm like, See? I am fighting it wow. with everything I have like I refuse to go back to that life And so it's it's interesting and I luckily I had gone to Tony Robbins seminars and I had been studying a lot of these things prior to it so I feel like I had some tools yeah but I think it's just like a, a complete just, Allergy to going back to that. And And we have a new
2: tool, our chart, that you're going to put together. I'm I'm (laughs) serious. (laughs) I love solutions. I'm creating. I'm going to
0: create a life workbook. So
3: start actually about the chart, not only with the people, but with our belief system. Yeah. Because it starts with I our know, belief I'm system. I'm going to collaborate with all of you. Don't worry. That'll
1: be great. <laughs> because that's why transformation is hard. You can have that epiphany, that huge epiphany. Mm-hmm. I had that w- that healed my life. It's like what I told you about a blind person getting sight. But then when you're back in that home where everyone else is blind, what do you do? Do you hold on to that memory of your sight? Or do you let it erode away mm-hmm. to, to be able to fit in, if you're a people pleaser, yeah. to fit in with all the people around you who are blind?
3: So when you go back to the memory, is it like, again, out of body experience? Are you completely immersed or is it still, or is it become a memory?
1: No, it's, um, I feel connected all the time. So here is my challenge. I feel that when you have an out-of-body experience and a near-death experience, it stays with you forever. It's not like a dream because it felt like that was the reality and yes. this is the dream. Yes, Ooh. 100%. Yeah. But the challenge is, is in trying to live this life and trying not to um, immerse myself into this life because, because um, it's, it can be lonely sometimes. That's the thing. It's, yeah, the challenge is in trying to live this life while staying that person that I learned to be from the other side. Like the enlightened person in a sense, right?
0: right? Because this world is, is frivolous, right? So when you've seen the other side or you've been close to the other side, or you've had something really big happen, you know, that none of this really matters.
1: No, it doesn't matter (laughs) at all. And yet, People make a big deal out of it i mean i 've had people um, tell me because i I speak about the illness and about life force energy and everything that i 'm sharing with you but i 've had people say yes you 're very lucky to be alive you 're blessed but but everything else you 're saying you 're delusional you know and and yet over the years, because I have stuck to it i haven 't gone back to being that person I used to be. My life has really worked out in a way that it never could have before, because I make sure that I do love and nurture myself and keep my life force energy up. And, and, I, and I love to help people, but I help people with the excess energy, not at the cost of draining me, yeah. I make sure I have lots of excess. Now, people come to me and they, you know, my old friends, and they say, Oh my gosh, um, we love your life. How can we have what you have? And I say, Oh, you gotta be delusional. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Let's all get a little more
0: delusional then. Seriously, I think we do need that. <laughs> Tomorrow, well, This delusion is real.
3: I mean, the delusion is the reality. This That's is right. the delusion. Yes, That's exactly this right. This is when we're fighting so strong to make it happen in this life where it's always my prayer, God, please help me remember. Remember that I'm a spirit having a human experience.
1: Oh, yes. I love that. That is yes. my always my prayer. Oh, and that is, that. that is it. It's just that. It's always remembering that you are that spirit, that connected to the divine yes at all times that's
0: right I love it of course this conversation went way too fast for me so Anita if you'd come back I want a part three (laughs) (laughs) in the meantime if you want to join Anita uh, on a seven day Alaskan cruise exploring the power of transformation it's coming up June 2019 you can go to AnitaMorjani.com backslash events for tickets I'd love to go to that actually Miss Jenny (laughs) Poulos thank you so much Uh, uh, you, you can find her on Instagram and Twitter at Jenny Poulis. Of course, her book is Grin and Barrett, How to Be Happy No Matter What Reality Throws Your Way. And Miss Tamar Geller at Tamara Geller. And Tamar, what was your book called now? Because I don't have it in front of me. The New York Times is selling is The Loved Dog. The Loved Dog. Ooh. That's what I thought it was. Love okay. It. Um, thanks for joining us, ladies. Thanks for the great conversation, Anita and uh, Anita Thank, Thank
1: you. Thank you, Maria, and all of Thank you. Thank you. And for so the Anna. rest of you
0: out there, in the meantime,